iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, this is The Ruck and we are only four days from the Premiership Rugby restart. On Friday it opens when Harlequins play Sale. By the end of the weekend every team will have played and then it comes faster and more furious than ever before. What will rugby post-lockdown look like? How do you prepare for it? And who is going to win the thing? On Thursday we'll have our usual rabble of familiar voices telling you that they've got the answers. But for this edition of the pod, we've gone with three men right at the heart of the title fight. This is a special edition of The Ruck. I am Owen Slot, and I am joined here by three title-challenging directors of rugby. We've got three title challengers. I'll start from the top in order of where they sit on the table. So in second place is Sale, D.O.R., Steve Diamond. Steve, great to have you on. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Sitting in third at the table is uh, is Bristol Bears. Pat Lamb is the D.O.R. And Pat, it's great to have you on. Thank you very much for coming. In fourth place in the table at the moment is Northampton Saints. D.O.R. is Chris Boyd. Chris, lovely to have you on as well. We're just days away from this restart and I'd just like to start by asking at the start of most seasons and this isn't even the start of a season but it feels like it but at the start of most seasons we know roughly what to expect we've a reasonable idea of which teams will be strong and uh, where most clubs are in their development so I just want to ask you this time round we've had five months off three months of almost complete lockdown there'll be no crowds we'll be playing in August can we possibly know what is coming our way over the next two months of, of incessant club rugby? Go on, Dimes, you go first. Well, I think if you play in Manchester at the AJ Bell, you're used to playing without crowds anyhow, so it's not going to be too much of a difference for us. The other two clubs who are in this, Northampton and Bristol, get significantly higher crowds, so I think we've got an advantage there, lads. But I think form goes out the window because it's that long ago, if I'm honest, and I know in this restart process, a lot of stuff's been taken out of Premiership football, but the one thing I took out of Premiership football was Leicester City with the informed side with Liverpool at the break, at the lockdown. And, and when they came back, they, they were probably performing like a bottom four side. So I think it just goes to show that, you know, you can't take anything for granted. You just got to get all your basics right and, uh, and try and crack on. And uh, I think form, I know... Fortunately, we're sat at the, in the positions we're in at the moment, but I think things could change dramatically over the next two months if we aren't mentally switched on and, 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 and if the lads aren't up for it. I agree with Dimes. It's just a fascinating challenge. Um, it certainly has been for, for all of us as, the, as you try and prepare your squads. You know, things that no one expected to happen 
but it's like life, you know, there's so many things that happen in life and it's, it's, it's what you're going to do about it and, and the attitude and the um, coming up with a plan on how you're going to deal with it and, and trying to put that in place. But I think the exciting thing is it's tough when you're training. I know when we played, and I hated training. Training was just a means to get to the game. And I take my hat off to a lot of the players, not just our players, that hang in there to try and, when you don't know when it's going to come back. And what's been pleasing is once they finally set a date, you generally sort of lift and everybody, okay. And there's the hope that we're going to all stay safe to get there. And so as we approach, you know, a week out, just over a week out, the general feeling is, and I'm you know, pretty confident to say that's with everybody. Everyone just want, is excited to get going, but there's also the unknown. And all you do is address it, you know, no, no crowds. A lot can change real fast over the next, certainly, couple of weeks, two, three, four weeks. Do you feel that that sort of same sense of unknown, Chris? I mean, can you look at your squad and go and go with it, say with any confidence, I think these players are in the right place and those players, other for, for various reasons, I'm not so sure of? I was just interested to start with whether Pat was agreeing with Dimes about the uh, the crowds as well, eh? <laughs> Look, I think it, I think there is unknown, but I think all of us would probably agree that some guys this extended break for them is the longest extended break they've had for for a hang of a long time. And you know, you talk to a guy like Owen Franks, played international rugby consecutively over a long period of time. He's never had this time before to train so I, I don't have any doubt that most sides are going to be in physically pretty good nick particularly running nick I think it's been up to the coaching groups and the environments to to transform that physical bit into into rugby players so from going from athletes into rugby players you know and that's been dictated to a little bit with the COVID and the level of physical contact you can have I, I doubt that the skill level is going to be able to match the intensity to start with and I think you know, the big elephant in the room is probably the tra- change in interpretation of referees' rules. I also think that, you know, we've been involved in various other conversations with the league and with how to get us going again. Is is To a certain extent, and, and I know I'm considered to be old school, but uh, to a certain extent, I think we've all forgotten about the break that everybody's had. And we're all t- conscious of getting breaks in for players moving forward. But... I can say this honestly, and I think you lads will probably be the same. Not one player has come to me and said, listen, I'm worried about next season. They haven't. They're just saying, come on, how do we get going again? When are we going? And, and of course, the middle of next year, it'll be tough. It'll be tough for everybody. But equally, everybody's going to be in the same boat. We're all going to have players who are knackered. And it's, it's how we manage that is it, we'll see who's the most successful teams are. But we, we've got to look at it like every other person looks at it in every other walk of life. What's happened, none of us have ever had before, have we? We've never been involved in a, an outbreak, a pandemic. So we just got to get on with it and be enthused about it. And of course, we'd like speckies there, but we can't get them. But, you know, I know there's three or four pubs where I live are all talking now about streaming the games to those pubs. So there's a massive interest there. It's just, it's our jobs to... Like Chris says, try and match the uh, enthusiasm with the skill in the in the first month, and if we get that, I think it we I think it'll be fantastic. I, I really do. Do you think at all that that, that um, 
because of what's happened, the, I, I guess the environment in your in your training groups must be slightly different. I mean, there's people around in masks every day. Is there any kind of feeling amongst the, the, the players that the circumstances are different and, and they kind of, that they have a responsibility, if you like, to to lift the fans, to to lift the, the TV viewers? Is it less all about winning and slightly more about spectacle entertainment? So it's always about winning. You know that. Just thought I'd check. And that's why people come to watch the game. They, they, come, they come to watch the game and they want to see people at their best and probably at best when they're focused on getting their jobs done well as for the team and winning. You know, that's ultimately what people want to see. They don't, you know, they, and the entertainment comes from that. You're never going to please everybody. Some people love the 6-3 games. Some people don't like the 45-36 games, all those sort of things, but... I think what people do like is when people giving it everything out there in the battlefield, and uh, you know, and I'm, uh, that as as the boys said, that's what you're going to see. Everyone's going to be keen and so excited to get back out there. And it's not going to be perfect, and it never is, but it's just that sense. Let's get going, as as Dime said. Yeah, and the other thing, I don't know, Chris, and part of the same, but when we normally come back after Six Nations, you've got your, you know, your, your players who are absolutely flogged. And you give them a bit of rest and you, you, you're hopefully going to a quarterfinal in some of the, one of the competitions or you're trying to get in the top four. Where now, at least, we've got pretty much full squads. And that's what people want to see. People want to see, in our case, people want to see Fafta Clerk, don't they? Mm. In, in your case, they want to see Ch- Charles Pittow. They want to see Dan Bigger. They want to see the best players playing. And I, I don't think- want to see either of those first two. <laughs> 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 you happy? Be happy for you to rest them on that occasion, Dimes and uh, Pat. Happy, very happy. <laughs> yeah, we're all holding our cards closely to our chest there, won't we? <laughs> but, but that's what people want to see. For me, maybe more so for you, Pat, being in Bristol, being a big sporting city in Northampton, has got the cricket and what have you, but generally a rugby town. Up in Manchester, the lockdown, bizarrely enough, has given us more of an even sort of showing with the football and the cricket. Because there's, there isn't 100,000 fans going to a game every weekend in Manchester at the minute. So when you do walk down the street or in the pub, you know, people are talking to not just me, but the players and what have you about, oh, you know, you've had a great start and, you know, can you finish it off? Whereas that wouldn't have happened in Manchester. If after Clerk come back from the World Cup and he could walk into any restaurant and nobody would say anything to him. Whereas if that was in Bristol or that was in Northampton, he'd be mobbed. And, and, and that's the thing that, that, that I'm finding. There's, there's people of sort of, the participation people, i.e. the supporters who go, who can't go to football at the minute, are having a look round at other things and seems to be generated a bit more impetus up here than, than, than it normally does. In terms of being able to know what you're facing and predict the sort of games you're playing, so, so you, you three are at clubs that are clearly title chasers. At the bottom end of the table, there's a there's a different dynamic. There's there's no relegation. So can you guess at what what you're going to be facing when you play those sort of clubs? Because they have the opportunity to experiment to, to uh, put more of their younger players in to effectively prepare a team for for the next season that starts in November. Does that, does that make sense, or do you think they'll they'll just be all out all the time? No, I think you're selling selling one thing short here that with the change in Europe, where the top eight sides are going to qualify for the Heineken Cup next year. I think every every team, probably bar Saracens, would fancy themselves as having a chance of getting to the top eight. So I think realistically every club will say there's a couple of lines in the table, one at you know, the top four for playoffs, 
one at the top eight. And, and I, you know, I mean, if I was sitting there, even Leicester have had a bad start to the season. You, you know they're going to be a different side when they come out. They'll be sitting there and saying, if we have a good run, we can make Heineken Cup next year. So until till that line disappears for all clubs, I think she's all on. Everything will be flat out, mate. What would you expect from the two, two sides that I find sort of very hard to sort of put your finger on? Look, you mentioned Leicester and Gloucester as well. They've had uh, huge changes in their, in their coaching setup. I mean, is that just wait and see what comes our way? I think you look at the quality of the coaches gone there, you know, Steve Borthwick and... And, uh, and George going into to that area. It's always a challenge when you go to a new club, but there's also, you get the spike of, all right, you know, players like, okay, I've got to start from scratch to impress and so forth. So, you know, it is, it is an unknown, but the thing that hasn't changed is, is the playing group. There's a couple of guys obviously added in and, and, and there, but we don't have uh, both clubs. I oh, know we haven't lost the second. <laughs> I'm just so focused on the Saracens at the moment. <laughs> but... Um, you know, yeah, yeah. You just don't know what's going to come, but I think there wouldn't. I'd be surprised if they changed too much. I also think, Pat, like if we're watching any sport, if you get a new coaching setup, there's always a spike. Always, there's always an improvement because of the natural thing of trying to impress and trying to get your your position and stuff. And the guys who's come in, whether it's George or whether it's Steve Borthwick, they've got different ideas, and 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 ultimately, all the teams. Let's be honest, the side that's going down has got a fantastic team, Saracens, aren't they? You know, all the teams have got great squads, pretty even squads, and that's why the league is so good and so tough. So I think they're the danger teams, if I'm honest. With no disrespect to anybody else, they're the ones who will want to make a mark in the last half of this season and to get in that top eight, because that's where everybody wants to be. All the players that Chris has signed or Pat signs or I've signed, Part of the negotiation with me is always telling them, look, we've got to be a, a European main competition side and we've got to be a top four side. If we're going to get any recognition, we're going to achieve anything. And 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 I think that those coaches, uh, George uh, Skivington being relatively young, but you know what? I was 35 when I got my first job. Pat, you would probably know similar. Boydie, how old were you when you first got, got a job? Uh, that, uh, coaching at that level, similar? Young. Yeah. That age. Yeah, we all start somewhere and we all f- up, excuse my language, we all make a mess, don't we? <laughs> I got sacked I got sacked two years in at Saracens in my second job and I I drove up the M6 thinking I'm never going to do this again, I'm going to start building houses again. And I started building houses again. Two years later, I'm, I'm coaching Russia, I'm thinking, what am I doing? I'm mad, but you can't stay away from it. And you have to, that's what's in us all really and for the good or the bad, you know. It, it, and, and George Skivington will have a lot to prove and He's brought a lot of good lads around him by the looks of it. So he'll be, um, there'll be a handful Gloucester because anybody knows Gloucester are always handful down there, whether they've got a crowd or whether they haven't. It's a real earthy club. The other Russia lot. An option, Russia an option for the World Cup in 2027? Well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get myself an ambassadorial job at the moment. <laughs> so I knew you'd be, I knew you'd be able to me, say that. next to Vladimir Putin on TV. Don't be too shocked. <laughs> He's a good mate of yours, I understand. Well, I have, uh, I have shaken hands and gone down on one knee before for, for Vlad, uh, Vladimir. But um, yeah, I, I actually had a great four years in Russia, to be fair. And uh, they're a little bit off it at the minute, but I think... Where they, where the Russians, the Russians and the Brits are very similar in their humour, and there's a misconception I always say that when you go on holiday and you meet an obnoxious Russian man, 
pushing in at the bar, then you, you equally see that with other races. What the Russians do very well, they seize the opportunity and they've seen COVID and they've seen that rugby is, is in a position where I don't think there's too many countries could say now in, in seven years' time, we're prepared to put a £100 million bond up for the profit of the World Cup. And that's what Russia have done with the Winter Olympics. They did it with the uh, World Cup football. And I, I think they're, they're a long shot, but you know, there, there are, there's more people play rugby in Russia than there is in Scotland. You weren't trading tanks and missiles when you were up there, were you? Yeah, no, no, I never got to that extent. Uh, <laughs> but my, um, my brother has lived and worked in Russia for 32 years. So I had a good introduction there. And um, in my previous life in Russia, lads, I was given the best advice about learning the Russian language. And my boss at the time said to me, look, Steve, we'll pay this much money. But in 12 months' time, if you come in this office and you can have a conversation similar to your brother who speaks fluent Russian, then I'll double your wages. And uh, oh, I had a lesson every day for 12 months, lads. <laughs> <laughs> we know what your driver is then. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Chris, you, you, you just mentioned the uh, refereeing interpretations, how you think that might be the uh, biggest influence on uh, how the rugby we see is, is different over the next couple of months. Do you three feel that because the, the championship is effectively going to be won in over a summer, over, over summer months, that that will have a, a big impact? You know, a traditional season, you have a bit of summer, uh, an autumn, a winter, you know, you have, you have every season, but this title is going to be decided by the, the team that plays the best summer rugby, surely? I think it's probably more likely to be decided by the team that can stay fit and healthy. I think that's the, the luck of that's going to be with such a congested... You know, if you say that the normal season is a marathon, we've probably got a, what, 200-metre sprint? Yeah. Maybe a 400. It's probably more likely to be a 200. And, mate, if you get a couple of injuries in critical positions and you can't get guys right, that's a factor. By the time we adjust to the referees invigorated uh, attitude towards interpreting the law differently and we understand what they want with that settles down that's probably going to be three or four or five weeks in by the time you look at what happened in Aotearoa so that's probably 
you know, we're well past the 100 metre mark by the time the thing settled down. So there's a lot of things riding on success, but I, I firmly believe keeping your squad fit, healthy and injury free and, and ready to play is going to be as tricky as anything. You know, just like we're all watching the games and out of interest through what's going on, you're also hoping that Spreaders and his crew, and I'm, I'm sure they are, are watching and learning. And so we're not going to go to the extreme of round one and two uh, to where it's got to now. And then obviously, you know, they're, they're analysing it and we start off at a more balanced state at round one. But the big thing then is obviously the consistency from game to game, week to week on the back of that is, uh, is what we're all after. But I think the referees could learn a lot, not just interpretations of what they're going to be putting in, but when Simon Orange bought Sale and Jed, they said to me, we don't understand it, Sale are really good at home, but really poor away from home. And I said, well, just look at any sport, it's very similar. And we're not having crowds. How many referees are influenced by crowds? You know, the simple not straight at a line out. You get to Leicester, Sale always throw three not straights. Yeah, on Monday morning <laughs> when you check it out, there's never a not straight in it. And, and I, think, I think that could help the referees. In, It'll be interesting, in, yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? The real things I think about are not straights at a scrum and a line out are nothing. They should just, within reason, just let them go. Let's get the ball in play. And, and I think, hopefully, looking at the Southern Hemisphere Super Rugby, the way the breakdown's being done is brilliant. That's what we want to yeah. say. We've got players who can play if we get decent ball. And that interpretation of only having that one movement when you're carrying the ball is good. Your players are like my players. Ludi Yeager, for example, I'm in awe of him at training. For such a huge man, his ability in the breakdown is the ball literally comes two metres back. It's incredible. And it's the same technique. It's obviously been brought up well and coached well, but, you know, it's natural stuff. So I think with the refs, if they get that breakdown sorted out and the scrum and the scrums, I always think the scrum's getting better. When we played, we always forget, don't we? You speak to your mum and dad and they talk about the good old days. They never call them the good old days. And I come from the time when scrums were scrums were scrums were scrums. We did about two kilometres in a game. And now it's, you know, nearly 40 minutes ball in play. It's fantastic. I feel for the referees, mate. I really do. Of course, we're all critical and we all have a go. And I have been worse than most in the past. But in reality, I think of all the cuts that are happening in rugby at the minute, there shouldn't be many cuts at the refereeing level. We should be pumping as much money into them boys as we can. Sounds like you've been doing some deep thinking during COVID times. You've had time to do. On, in Russia, on, the in era, Russia. on the eras of your ways in the past. Well, I'm reformed. Born again. Are you born again? Born again. Born yeah. again, rugby thug. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. Lay Lamb was no saint, let's be honest. <laughs> As you said, born again. I think the other exciting thing is, is Eddie Jones has uh, changed a lot. I know I've not had a direct conversation with him next week with him, but just just the way he's dealing with the England players who we've got, I think he's learned through experience that you know he, he's got to look after these players that are ours effectively when they go to England camp and the days of them coming back absolutely knackered. You know, we, we, we know it's a different level there, but I think he's listening to everybody at the moment and taking on board the, the amount of rest. And you, Chris, you, you hit the nail on the head. The sides that look after the players best are the sides that will have the most success over the next 12 months, without a doubt. I'm sure you're right, Steve, but given the congestion of the, next, of the calendar of the next two months, do you three not anticipate some hard decisions that will be put on you where 
you'll want to pick your best players, but you'll also want to rest them. I mean, that's that's inevitable that, that that's going to be put on you. Yeah, without a doubt, but I think the, the big thing is communication. At the end of the day, it's all very well. It's about a player being at his best. And so I think the linkage between when that player, so Kyle Sinclair, when he's with us and when he's with England, the communication and the, the individual player management load for that for Kyle is across both teams. So, you know, as, as Steve said, you know, talking to Eddie about visiting and going through what that plan looks like for when he's here and we marry that up with what his plans and we look at his schedule. So we manage, instead of we managing England players and, and Bristol players, we're managing all the individuals and looking at the schedules. And remember, it's a living document. Players suddenly gone for, you know, we plan that he's going to be busy. He has an injury and he's out for four or five weeks. Suddenly he's not interested in breaks. He wants he wants to get back playing and get going again. So you're adjusting as you go along. But the key, like anything, is having a plan for that player and all our players to make sure, as Chris said, that they get to a point where they can actually perform. It's all very well. I mean, I, I've been stung with that before when I was coaching the Blues with All Blacks coming back and, you know, whether they're overcooked or undercooked. You know, but everyone's looking at it going, oh, you got this player and that player, but if they're not at their best. It's a waste of time anyway, not at their best for the club. So, you know, sometimes the squad player is probably better to put out there, but, you know, it's all about managing his, his plan. I agree. I have a really good example of it with Ben and Tom Curry. Obviously, identical twins, started the same day, trained, very rarely get injured. Tom's played 57 games for sale and Ben's played 104 games for sale. So it, it, the perception is Tom's better than Ben. But in reality, I don't have that perception. I think, well, you know, at the top end, Tom might be a little bit more physical, a little bit. But what does he do for us every week? Well, he's not here every week. So you've got to manage that sort of role. What incentivizes him? What gets him going? Is it playing for England or playing for us? Fortunately, I think it's playing for us. And England's the byproduct of that. The communication's massive. Through the dark times of COVID, when we were all making the pay cuts and we have to sit them down and say this, I didn't hear too many rumblings out of Northampton. I didn't hear anything out of Bristol. I didn't hear anything out of Sale publicly because we all communicated the right way. None of us are happy about it, but that's the way we had to do it. And I think the communication is the biggest thing. And, and that's why I don't give a shit what people think about me outside the club, how I run it, it's up to them. But I know not many people leave me and people want to join us. Because you, you don't only sell them the vision. On all three of us are in a similar boat, the way I look at it, is I don't have to chat somebody up too much about joining sale these days. I say, go and speak to your mate who already plays here. Have a word with him. He'll tell you more about what we do than I can tell you. We can put the vision in front of him, but it's that communication that's important. And I feel the two of the clubs on here with me have got that. That's why the top clubs and have been for a long time. But also, furthermore, the England communication is getting better. And if that happens, then we're all working on the same thing. We're all on the same agenda. Has your communication with Racy? Good. Very good, if I'm honest. Very, very good. Well, it should be. I've got two-thirds of his bloody team, haven't I? <laughs> In fact, we had a good cricket match the other week. We had England versus South Africa and the rest of the world. And uh, oh, the rest of the world won. <laughs> I was umpire, so they were always going to win. Would you concur with Steve when he said that Eddie's balancing the workload of his England players better for the clubs? Well, I think his intent, the noise that's coming out is his intention is better. We'll wait and see what happens in November and, and January, February. And, and I think in a heightened load programme, we all have to share the burden, the player, the country and the club. 
all have to have an agenda that that's well connected and well aligned. So we'll wait and see. But but there's certainly the the noises are positive between the players' association who represent the players. You know the DIRs and the owners and the CEOs who represent the clubs and and you know the RFU often represented by Conway Shea and and uh, Eddie. So I think at the moment there's good good intent. Uh, and hopefully that'll come to fruition. Uh, just a few more quick questions, guys. Pat's boys have got uh, Saracens on this first coming weekend. What are you expecting of Saracens over the next two months? I'm expecting, you know, their whole season, is, as, as they've said publicly and we all know, is around winning the Champions Cup. So you look at, um, you, you forget everything else and you look at the legacy that they've built, you look at the potential, the players that they, um, the, the squad that they, they put out there and the quality there. So we're expecting no no difference. That the the challenge of trying to deal with that group is um, is, is going to be tough, and but we're excited by that. And you know, so we're preparing for all guns blazing from them. If it's not yourselves, who would you say are favourites to win this uh, win this title? I think the beauty is the, of this competition is that probably the six, seven, eight teams can uh, have a chance, and because we're in the situation of midweek games, effectively. Most of us have four games in the first 14 days, and that's a huge swing, you know, in that table. So by the time we get to September, they could be all over the place, and uh, and that's the importance of the start uh, of what's going to happen. You know, you're either going to see uh, a big change, or you're going to see a break. It's 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 hard to call. All, all you got to worry is make sure that you're ready for it. It makes it exciting because normally you start a preseason, you come in. It has been predominantly like a preseason, been away for so long. And we come in at this time, normally anyway, August, we're getting ready to play a couple of pre-season games, which we haven't been able to do. And then you expect, you know, trophies are available in June. So it's a long way away. You know, trophies are available in October. That adds to the excitement as well and the, the need. And everyone realises, as Chris said, that the, the Heineken Cup at worst is available for, for everybody as well. Everyone's alive for that bar, bar Saracens. Come September, it's going to be a completely different ball game to what it is now. And, uh, you know, may the best team win. Steve, Chris, are you prepared to say who you back for this uh, this title? I think there's uh, the favourites are Exeter. If I'm honest, they've got the they've got the experience of being in the final several times and winning it. I think Chris has turned Northampton around. Pat has rebuilt Bristol, and and we're now on a level playing field with the other clubs in spending abilities. So. I think we've all got a shot at it, as as the other clubs just below the top four have got a shot at it. For me, personally, I think Exeter are the, the favourites. I think if we could get a top four home finish, then it would be great for us. And it's then a different competition, the the top four. You know, if you've, you've, you can get a home draw in that, it will be different the, this year with no crowds or very little crowds, I, I suspect. So it will make it even more even. But yeah, I've got to say, common sense is telling me Exeter... Bristol second, Northampton third, and we're probably seventh or eighth. <laughs> one, one thing that is there, and that, that's what I've always admired, is uh, Exeter and Saracens. You know, they, that coaching group is going mm. into the 11th or 12th season, I think. Uh, Chris is into second. I'm only into second season as far as premiership goes. And, you know, Dimes, you've been around a while, but... I'm 10th. You know, I'm going into 11. Yeah. And again, it's, it's no, no coincidence of... You, you get, um, you know, sustainability. You get, you can build the culture, and people know what what it's all about. So, you know, yeah, that's it, it does have a big influence on 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 it. I I say. Chris, final word. Uh, no, I agree with Dimes. I think Exeter will be hard to beat, but not impossible. So, 
even last year, you know, there was halftime you would have fancied Exeter to have won the premiership last year, but but they came up short, which, you know, will make them hungrier again. So I think they're the team to beat, but I think like the other boys, I think, you know, there's four or five or six or seven or eight teams that can certainly force their way into that top four. I think it's hugely competitive. And there's a Nats whisker between one and the other and a bit of luck and, a, a you know, a bounce of a ball. And, so, you know, suddenly it could be a different picture. And I think Pat's right. How you get out of the blocks and get a lead, you know, there might be an Usain Bolt who can come from, from the back and come through the field. But I think really the, got, the teams that get a good start are probably going to get a reasonable finish. OK, thank you to Steve Diamond, Pat Lamb and Chris Boyd for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the pod. If you did please do spread the word. And also, please do come back again for another pre-restart Ruck preview, which will come to you with the usual crowd on Thursday. Stay well, and we will see you then. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.